Hello and welcome to the May edition of the Lancet Neurology Podcast. My name is Nikolai Humphreys. Today we'll be looking at a review published in the journal on apathy in Parkinson's disease, clinical features, neural substrates, diagnosis and treatment. I am joined on the line by Paul Crack from Grenoble University Hospital. He is one of the authors. Hi Paul, welcome to the podcast. Hi Nicolai, thank you for calling and good to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Now, we are all familiar with the term apathy, but you use the term to describe a specific behavioral syndrome. I'm really interested about getting to the nub of that. Can you briefly describe the features of this syndrome? Yes, uh, the, the term of uh, apathy is indeed of common use in everyday English. But uh, a patient, however, would never ever complain about being apathetic uh, because in everyday language, apathy has a very negative connotation. Uh, spontaneously, the patient will rather complain about fatigue. Physicians are using the, the term of apathy in order to describe a behavioral modification that's basically characterized by a decrease in motivation. Now, what does an apathetic syndrome look like? Well, a, a patient with apathy, first of all, has a loss of interest and drive. He will spend less time than usual with his favorite pastimes or hobbies. His flow of ideas has decreased. He has no spontaneous thoughts. His mind is empty. So he doesn't start new activities. So, uh, and if apathy is severe, he, he actually doesn't start any activity at all unless he's pushed to do so. And uh, curiously enough, uh, when he's pushed by his surroundings on a context such as a consultation, when stimulated to answer questions, he's able to do everything to behave normally. So if not specifically asking about symptoms of apathy, the physician can easily be misled and the apathy will remain completely unnoticed. The patient with apathy also has an emotional blunting. He feels less pleasure from activities that used to be his passions before. There's no more enthusiasm. The, the patient having less interest in social activities, he will progressively withdraw from social life. However, because of a lack of concern, he will not complain. So quite often, the apathetic patient doesn't even feel concerned about his own state of inactivity. He's not sad. He feels unhappy only when realizing that people close to him are disappointed or start blaming him for his inactivity. That's, that's about uh, the, the typical uh, situation we, we can observe in an apathetic patient. Thank you for that very vivid description. And I think you explained how apathy affects the quality of life of patients, but could you also explain how it affects their caregivers? Yes, the patient himself, he may not spontaneously complain, but he feels no pleasure. He feels tired, and that does indeed have an important impact on his quality of life. The Grenoble Group, we have recently looked at quality of life in patients after surgery when medication, anti-Parkinsonian medication, is sometimes withdrawn a lot, sometimes too much. And in that study, patients were divided into two groups, those who were apathetic and those who were not. 
the basic characteristics, um, motor improvement was uh, perfectly identical among the two groups. But despite motor improvement, patients with apathy had absolutely no gain in quality of life. So this uh, drastically illustrates that the non-motor behavioral symptoms of the disease are as important, if not more, than the motor science. The neurologist has to focus on both in order to improve the quality of life of his patients. The, the caregiver on his side is confronted with a person who can do everything that he used to do, but he doesn't anymore without any obvious explanation. If a wife or husband who used to be enthusiastic isn't anymore, then the caregiver doesn't understand. And he can either feel guilty or start getting upset and blame the patient for his symptoms. Actually, uh, I think apathy can be much more difficult to deal with with the surroundings by the caregiver than for the patient himself. Mm, that's really, really interesting, and I never really thought about it that way. Um, can you now shift towards Parkinson's. Now, apathy seems to be highly prevalent in Parkinson's disease and, and also other neurodegenerative diseases. Do we know why people with these disorders are so vulnerable to apathy? Yes, uh, apathy is indeed highly prevalent in uh, neurodegenerative diseases such as Parkinson's disease, which leads to a lack of dopamine and dysfunction of the uh, so-called bottom-up a mechanism of brainstem cortical activation in the early stages of this disease. But uh, apathy is also frequent, for example, in Huntington's disease, which starts in the corded nucleus, which is um, part of the basal ganglia, and uh, which holds a key position in the cortical subcortical loops, which are involved in planning and execution of activities. Apathy is also extremely prevalent in uh, progressive supranuclear palsy. This is a disease, a disease which primarily affects the front lobe, and thus it impairs the top-down mechanisms of cortical initiation and adaptation of behavior. Apathy is also frequent in Alzheimer's disease, so very, very frequent diseases, which can affect the whole cortex, but also in diffuse white matter disease, in stroke or multiple sclerosis, which affect the fibers that link the different brain regions to each other, or in non-degenerative psychiatric disease, such as uh, apathy in chronic depression or the negative symptoms of uh, chronic schizophrenia. Motivated behavior is such a complex issue, and if only one of the brain structures involved in the cognitive or emotional aspects of motivated behavior is impaired, this can lead to clinical features of apathy. So whether disease starts in the cortex or in the basal ganglia or in the brainstem, we have an interruption of the cognitive and emotional cortico-basal ganglia loops that are involved in our routine and pleasurable behaviors. And this, to my mind, explains vulnerability to such a complex uh, clinical syndrome and also its frequency across various diseases. I'm reading in your review that you discussed the neural substrates of the various components of apathy. Could you give us an example of the type of pathology that might be associated with one of the subdomains of apathy? Sure. We, 
We can distinguish indeed uh, emotional affective apathy, cognitive apathy, or auto-activation apathy. Let's look more closely at the example of auto-activation apathy with a specific lack of um, initiation of activity. What is common to all the various components of apathy is a lesion or dysfunction in a loop involving the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and the caudate nucleus. In auto-activation activity, in addition, there is a bilateral lesion or a dysfunction of the supplementary motor area where the initiation of behavior is started on a cortical level. A lesion affects bilaterally the internal globus pallidus, interrupting thus the outflow from the basal ganglia to the cortex. Are treatments available for the different components of apathy in patients with Parkinson's disease? Yes, uh, indeed. We have, we have different treatments available. The treatment in the de novo Parkinson's disease uh, with a pure isolated apathy is not the same that in a patient who has apathy with emotional distress or in a patient with end-stage disease who has a severe dis-executive syndrome. While in the de novo patient, we would start with a dopamine agonist with a preferential affinity to the mesolimbic dopamine receptor in the nucleus accumbens, the so-called reward center. The, the patient with emotional affective suffering should rather be treated with uh, classical traditional antidepressants acting uh, also on the serotonergic and uh, noradrenergic systems, but which uh, in a just pragmatical approach may also be associated with a dopamine agonist. And then finally, the patient with advanced disease suffering from dementia will be treated with uh, acetylcholinesterase inhibitors, which are less powerful and uh, it is more difficult to repair the whole cortex rather than just replace the bottom-up activation with a dopamine agonist or levodopa. Also, some other drugs leading to powerful release of dopamine, such as amphetamines, uh, are highly effective, but these are more difficult to handle. Although studies have shown a benefit in apathy, for example, in the context of apathy in Alzheimer's disease. You say that apathy can occur after deep brain stimulation in Parkinson's disease. This makes me wonder, can this post-operative apathy be reversed? Yes, uh, provided we are talking about dopamine withdrawal apathy, which can occur uh, with a considerable delay of several months or even years or so after surgery, and uh, not talking about apathy in advanced PD with severe disexecutive syndrome or Parkinsonian dementia. So these are two different things. We have indeed performed a randomized controlled trial in uh, withdrawal apathy occurring in the first year after surgery for Parkinson's disease using uh, piribadil, which is uh, the 2D3 stimulating dopamine agonist. And uh, this has shown a significant uh, benefit. Uh, this paper that was published by Stefan Tobois in uh, 2013 in Brain has not received enough attention, probably because this agonist is not available in most of the countries, and also because there's still a discussion. Some colleagues tend to think that apathy after surgery for SDND, DBS, is not synonymous with a withdrawal apathy, but rather corresponds to specific side effect of DBS. 
there's still some controversy going on uh, concerning this specific topic, and for this reason, we are presently looking at the effect of rotigotin, uh, another uh, dopamine agonist, on apathy in the de novo patient, which is a more pure model of Parkinsonian apathy without any potential interference with an electrode in the brain. And we can actually observe quite dramatic effects uh, and uh, treatment of apathy certainly uh, should not be restricted to postoperative apathy. And uh, yes, dopamine agonists are quite effective. The symptoms of apathy overlap with those of other mood disorders. I'm thinking depression. Can apathy be reliably distinguished from depression so that appropriate treatments can even be given? Yes, definitely. Patients with depression typically show some degree of apathy, but if a patient is feeling guilt, pessimism, self-criticism, sadness, or suicidal ideation, these are all items that are highly specific to depression, and depression must be managed differently from pure isolated apathy. You describe Parkinson's disease as a model to study motivated behaviors. Can you explain why Parkinson's disease is such a good model? Will findings in Parkinson's disease provide insights that are relevant to other neurodegenerative disorders? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, PD, to me, is the model to uh, study apathy as um, a marked dopamine depletion is always present, and uh, dopamine is a key neurotransmitter in motivated behavior. In a patient with fluctuating disease, for example, we can observe apathy in off-drug condition and impulsivity on-drug condition in the very same patient. So we can take the patient as his own control and study the full spectrum of motivated behavior in a human being who can explain to you what he's suffering from in off-state and what he feels like when being in on-drug condition. And I cannot see any model that is more powerful to analyze human motivated behaviors. Parkinson's disease also allows dissecting apathetic behaviors using deep brain stimulation, which is a very powerful tool to study pathophysiology, as we can switch stimulation experimentally on and off while the patient is performing a behavioral paradigm. And at the same time, we are recording cerebral activity uh, analyzed with uh, functional MRI or EEG, or even recording local field potentials from the chronically implanted electrodes. Furthermore, other neurotransmitters such as serotonin are involved in PD. Serotonin depletion in the brainstem even before the disease reaches the dopaminergic neurons in the midbrain. We know that the lack of serotonin is important, for example, in anxiety. So, yes, PD can be used as a model which is relevant for other neuropsychiatric disorders. Thank you, Paul. This really is an interesting review with lots of uh, questions answered and just looks at things from a, a new perspective. I want to ask my final question now, and that is, what advances would you like to see in research or indeed in clinical practice that would improve the care of patients with apathy? Apathy being a key feature of PD, just like achinesia, we, we have to improve the awareness of the importance of apathy in in clinical practice, we have to make sure there's a systematic evaluation in changes of behavior in each individual patient.
whether we're dealing with a hypodopaminergic lack in motivation or, on the contrary, a hyperdopaminergic excess in motivation. And we have to consider these behavioral changes as much as the motor symptoms when adapting anti-Parkinsonian medications. Paul Crack, thank you for joining me on the Lancet Neurology podcast. Your review is available to read online and in print now. Thank you, Nikolai. It was my pleasure.